for a Bible, do take up um, Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. We pray that God would, would open up his word to us. So we pray he'll do that through Luke 2. Christmas is, is a familiar story. I guess many of us will have heard it in many contexts over the last few weeks. The story of the shepherds and the angels and, and the wise men might have seen, um, like I did, my, my children perform parts of it, although as, as sheep rather than anything sort of more um, complex or, or sort of high level. But, but why b- believe any of it? Why, why believe that the central claim of, of the Christmas story, that God became incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why, why believe that any of this really happened? Luke is very concerned that his readers know not only what happened, but that it is true that they are certain of what he said. He, he says in his gospel right from the beginning, from Luke 1.1, 1, 1, that he is writing that those who, who've heard of Christ might have certainty of what they've believed. And this is where he goes after his great account of Christmas, straight from the, the, the shepherds, the, the birth in, as it were, the, the, the manger and the shepherds. Where does he go next? Because that's so often Luke is giving us answers to those sorts of questions, but they're doing it through narrative, through true story, through what happened, the events that follow. We're going to read uh, this morning from Luke 2, beginning at verse 21. This evening, God willing, we'll preach from the second um, half of this, um, from 41 and onwards. This morning, um, Luke 2, from verse 21. And Luke tells us, and at the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in that law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she's 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer, night and day. 
And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Why believe the, the Christmas story? Why believe that, that God, the creator of the whole universe, stepped into what he had made and became one of us? Why believe that this is salvation? The question I often get asked, I explain the good news about Jesus is, well, why there and, and then? Why, why did God appear to, to these people at, at this time, 2,000 years ago, and, and not to us now? Why should I believe that if someone appeared now and said that they were God coming to the world? I wouldn't believe them. So, so, so why would I believe? Why should I believe he did it 2,000 years ago? After all, didn't people know less back then than they do now? We know so much more than them about science and, and history and other religions. Why, why believe that what these first century peasants from, from the middle of nowhere in Galilee believed is, is true? That their child, this child, was, was not just a, a great human being, and maybe Jesus was great, but that he was God. God come to, to rescue people in his world. I think begin, Luke begins to answer that question um, here in this very passage. Why, why believe what it is he spent so long in, in Luke 1 and 2 setting up for us, that this is, is no ordinary human being, but, but God himself come into his world to, to rescue his people. And he does it in a very Lucan way by, by taking us to, to witnesses. He said at the beginning of his gospel that, that he's interested in, in, in the eyewitnesses. He's gone and he's, he's listened to those who knew Jesus and, and saw him. And he's taken their accounts and, and put them together, carefully arranged them in the account that we now know as as his gospel. And here we get a, a pair of witnesses, of human witnesses. Simeon and Anna, a man and, and a woman, perhaps that the pair is intended. And of course, the, the ongoing witness of, of Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents. And we see that they are convinced of the truth. And I think that tells us something. Well, there's more as well to see. Just two, I guess, sort of halves to see in this. And, and the first is to, to look at the human witnesses that, that Luke takes us to. And if I had a point, it would be just the human witnesses. But, but it would be this. Christmas is, is not a surprise. Christmas is, is not a surprise. It's not a surprise in some ways to, to Mary and Joseph. The, the incarnation, the coming of God into his world, at one level, doesn't surprise them. Or, or Simeon and Anna. And that is, I think... To us, a surprise. Christmas to them is not a surprise. Now, if you wanted to, to back up a big religious claim, a claim that God is fulfilling everything he said in, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, if you wanted to, to, as it were, testify to a claim about God and what he's up to in the world, who would you ask to witness it? Now, let's say don't we have to turn off our, our 21st century um, perspective. Often the witness we want is the person who knows the least, who's therefore the the least biased, who who looks at things with with fresh eyes. But that's a terrible way to look for a witness. The the best witness to a a religious claim is a religious expert. If you want to know if if Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, you want to find someone who knows the Old Testament, who knows the Hebrew Scriptures. 
It's a joy being an elder in an Oxford church to have men and women in the congregation who are either doing or have doctorates. Some of them specialize in the first century and what first century Jewish people expected, how they read the Old Testament. Not one of those brothers and sisters knows the Old Testament or Hebrew as well as Mary, Joseph, Simeon, or Anna. Their knowledge of of first century Jewish expectations, how people read the Bible, far far surpasses the greatest academic working today. Here we have people introduced to us by Luke as experts. They know and love their Bibles. They're closer to the events that we read of in, in the Old Testament than we are. They had spent their lives longing for God to send what he had promised. And then when when Jesus appears, what do they say? Well, this is what we expected. Are they perplexed and and have to wring their hands and go back and and get out the Bible again and go, well, it's not what we expected, but can we make it make sense? Can we kind of squint at the Old Testament? Then they go, this is it. This is it. This is him. It appears in some ways to, to be no surprise to them at all. And yet they are very reliable witnesses. Mary and Joseph, who love the Old Testament, want to fulfill every rite and and ritual to take their son to be circumcised and then to present him as a firstborn son should be in in the temple in Jerusalem. Willing to to travel the the distance to to get there, to, to do everything that the law commands. People who love the Old Testament. Religious Jews. And yet they're perfectly willing to accept after what has happened that that Jesus is is God's own son come into the world. Not the kind of thing you expect someone to believe at that time and yet they're convinced not some kind of con artist on the make seeking to to kind of wear up their their son to get people's money and, and wealth but religious Devoted people and yet convinced that Jesus is God's king. Indeed, God himself come to be with his people. And then Simeon. He comes onto the scene and, and it's something that will run all the way through Luke. He often introduces people with a little kind of pen portrait. As a character comes in, you'll see as they appear for the first time in Luke, that he'll give a little brief description of them to, to sum them up. And how does he sum up Simeon? Well, look down at verse 25. Now, that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here is a man who knows and loves every word of the Old Testament. He has spent his whole life, and it's implied he's he's an older man, he's spent his, his whole life waiting for God to do what he has promised. As he lives in the first century and and sees that the Romans in charge, no king on the throne in Jerusalem, he sees that God's people have never been returned to to Jerusalem as as they might have have hoped and restored the kingdom through the greatness of the days of Solomon and and David. He, He longs for God to bring the salvation that he has promised. And then in comes this, this couple from, from Nazareth with, with their child, too poor to offer the full sacrifice that, that's needed in the law, and so only offering turtle doves or, or pigeons. And the baby's handed to him, he says, this is it. And he gives this, this amazing description of, of this baby in, 
in his hands and says, this is not just a, a baby, not just cooing over a, a child. No, this, this is God's salvation. This is what I've been waiting for. This is, this is everything that I've been longing for. This is, is him. And, and he quotes almost directly or paraphrases the words of, of Isaiah to describe that the greatness of this, this saviour, the one who's come to be salvation in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory and for glory to your people, Israel. Here is God's glory, God himself coming to his world, who will be held up before the, the whole of the, sort of the, the created order, all nations, as, as king and, and saviour. And of course, he's seen nothing. He's heard not, not a single word that Jesus would speak, not, not one word of his teaching, not one miracle he's performed. It's not even implied that he's heard the story of the, the, the angels and, and, and the shepherds. But just seeing this child is enough him to say, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Again, not some man given to, to fads, but, but a righteous and, and devout man, careful of every word in the Old Testament, not likely to believe that the latest thing that, that a couple might tell him who've appeared from, from Galilee, a reliable witness, and yet he is convinced that Jesus is the one. Finally, Anna, and we see the same. Introduced as, as someone devoted to God, worshipping day and night, who's given decades of her life to, to, to worshipping the Lord God in his temple in Jerusalem. And as Jesus appears, what does she do? Appearing in the temple at just the right moment, more to say on that in a bit. She says, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for, and, and this is who I've been worshipping. And she begins to tell not just one or two people, but anyone who will listen to her. You'll never guess what I've seen. I've seen God's saviour come into the world. Let me tell you about him. This baby that came in, he wasn't just a baby. This is what we've been waiting for, and you need to know about him. She, she won't be quiet, is the implication that Luke gives. She'll talk to anyone who appears, coming up to the temple to worship. I have seen God's salvation. What to say about all of this? Well... Firstly, I think Luke wants us to see that the, that the bona fide, top-tier religious witnesses were convinced right from the start that Jesus was God's saviour. It, it wasn't, in some ways, a surprise to them. There wasn't some mental gymnastics to go through to, to see this. For, for those who knew and loved the Old Testament, who loved the Hebrew Scriptures, they could see that, that Jesus is the one that God had promised. The people who were there then and who knew and loved God, but believed that Christmas was real. Those who had a better sight of the events and and the people involved than we can have with 2,000 years of distance, they they believed. The human and and rational evidence was there for them before they saw a single miracle or heard a single word of, of the Sermon on the Mount or anything else that Jesus taught. There was enough for them to believe that Jesus was the one. Bigger than that, it shows us that Christmas is, is not a complete surprise to, to those who, who, as it were, lived through it. I guess we're, we're used to saying that, that Christmas is surprising, that this is not what God's people expected. When I'm on the, the, the rugby pitch with, with pupils playing touch rugby, I wouldn't dare to play real rugby with them, 
But, but, but there, it's very easy, because I'm, I'm very slow of, of mind and sight, to, to throw a, a dummy to me. To do a pretend to pass one way and send me kind of running off in completely the wrong direction and to sidestep and go the other way. Is that what God did to his people? He had sort of given them one set of expectations all the way through the Old Testament. Look, expect a king who will come and, and destroy the Romans and, and rule from Jerusalem. And at the last minute went, surprise, I'm actually going to be a baby. Besides catching rugby, I also teach, I also teach um, classics, ancient literature. And if you went to an ancient theatre, there was a, a literal crane on, on the roof of, of the stage. It's where the phrase deus ex machina comes from, the, the god from the machine. Now, if you were a kind of a playwright in ancient Greece, and you'd written yourself into a corner and had no way to finish your play and make it all work, you, you'd literally put a god like Apollo, someone dressed him, on the crane and have him kind of come down and solve all the problems at the end, tie up all the loose ends, deal with everything and get the, the, the plot finished. Is that what God does in Jesus? He'd, he'd taken us down one kind of track in the Old Testament, expecting one sort of things, then at the last minute went, surprise, here's something else that you hadn't expected to come. Actually, I'm going to be a, a humble servant and, and die on a cross. Well, at one level, it is a surprise. Use the example of you years ago in Oxford of, uh, of that moment, I'm sure none of you ever done, of when you sneak up as a, as a, as a child, open up the cupboard and find the Christmas presents for Christmas, and, and they're all wrapped, and you, you begin to sort of feel out what shape they are. D- don't, don't do this, it's very bad. Now, now at that stage, you, you can't tell the exact shape of what you expect. You can tell maybe roughly what it is. It, it feels kind of, it's got two wheels, and it's kind of bicycle-shaped. I'm guessing it's a bicycle. But you can't tell exactly what it is until it's opened up on Christmas Day. There's an element of truth in that, that Jesus is like that present. You, you, you can't know exactly what he's like. No one knew exactly what God's Savior would be like until he actually came. But they could have known and did know quite a lot. After all, if you felt that present and it had handlebars and, and two wheels, you wouldn't be saying, well, maybe it's a pony. Maybe there's a pony wrapped up. I'd have quite a lot of ideas. What it, what it was. It wouldn't be a complete surprise. That's why you shouldn't go and, and touch the presents in the cupboard before Christmas. It ruins the surprise. As Simeon and Anna see what God has promised, it's a bit like that. They, they've had to have felt the outline of the present. And they know quite a lot. They know that God's Savior will be born in Bethlehem. Simeon knows Isaiah. He knows, and here he paraphrases that section of Isaiah, that he will be a, a humble servant. Who will die a cursed death. He knew a lot. This passage is is rooted in in the Old Testament. Old Testament practices and and rituals of of sacrifice and and cleansing. Old Testament people like Simeon and Anna who who love the Bible and are rooted and and, and tied to the temple. The the place of, of God's Old Testament dwelling in presence of his people. And yet in this Old Testament context, when Jesus appears on the scene, everyone goes, this is what we expected. This is it. Jesus is is both old and new because he is the fulfillment of all that God has promised in the Old Testament. The the whole of the Old Testament has been moving towards Jesus. That's the answer to that person. Well, well, why there and then? Why, why couldn't Jesus come to, to Solly Hull or God come to Solly Hull in, in 2024? 
The answer is you need to read the Old Testament. He didn't just appear randomly at an arbitrary place, but, but as a fulfillment of the history of his people and his revelation through the Old Testament. This is precisely where you'd expect him to appear, and when, and how. It's not, in a very real sense, a surprise. This is what people who knew the Bible, like Simeon and Anna, expected. And so when it came, they were confident that God had done what he promised. And even just looking at it humanly, we can be confident too. If you're not sure about Christmas, if you're thinking it through, if you're trying to explain it to others, then, then look at the Old Testament and see how perfectly this is all fulfilled and, and, and finds its completion in what happened in around 0 AD, 2000 and a bit years ago. This is the fulfillment of where God had, had taken and, and led his, his people. And, and humanly speaking, we, we have as much reason as, as Simeon and Anna, more even as we see what Jesus would do for the range of his life, to say this is true. It just rashes adds up. This is a remarkable fulfillment of, of thousands of years of, of promises and revelation and, and history. It, it all makes complete sense. It's not some massive surprise out of left field, but, but exactly where we can see that God has been going. This is, this is what God has done. The evidence stacks up. But ultimately there is more to say, because there's a second point I think to make, which is here we do see the human witnesses and how Christmas is not a surprise. We also see a, a divine witness. And a second point, just to be paradoxical, that Christmas is a surprise. It's not a surprise, and yet we see as well that it is. Because Luke doesn't just appeal to, to the human witnesses, to, to Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna, but, but more he appeals to a divine witness, to the Holy Spirit, who has appeared earlier in, in Luke 1 and 2, appears again and again in this passage. You see the number of times the Holy Spirit is mentioned, particularly in relation to Simeon. Going back to that introduction of Simeon in verse 25. He was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. In the very next verse, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And again, in the very next verse, in verse 27, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit prepares him in general by being upon him and giving him particular preparation to, to meet with the Saviour. He, he prepares him by giving a particular revelation that, that he will meet with God's Saviour, the Christ, when he comes. And then he brings him to just the right place at the right time to, to meet Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus in their arms. And I suspect at that moment he, he opens up Isaiah and shows to him that, who this baby is. After all, at one level, it, it's not like Jesus had a, a kind of a glow, I guess, about him or or wherever he stepped, lotus flowers appeared, or where his parents went, you could see some kind of night kind of time, day glow around him. He, he looked like an ordinary baby, and, and yet Simeon knows this is no ordinary child, but the fulfillment. He, he knows immediately this is the one. How does he know? Well, the Holy Spirit has revealed it to him. Revealed it to him so certainly and clearly he can say, now I can die in peace, now I can depart, now I can leave the ministry of waiting I've been given because it's done. This is, this is the one. I think the same point is made about Anna, but without mentioning the Holy Spirit. Luke reminds us um, that she came uh, in verse 38 at that very hour. She comes at just the right moment like Simeon. 
She just happens to come up to the temple at the moment when Mary and Joseph are there with Jesus. Again, it's no coincidence. There are no coincidences in the Bible. This is God bringing her by the Holy Spirit to just the right place to see what he would have her see. Whatever the human evidence, in the end, the acceptance of Jesus as God's saviour is a revelation of the Holy Spirit. After all, even the ordinary means that God uses, Isaiah and, and the preparation that's given, Simeon, who knows his Old Testament, to see this as Jesus. Well, who wrote Isaiah? Isaiah, yes, but, but more the Holy Spirit. Who opened up Isaiah that he might understand it, that he might correctly understand what God is saying about his servant, that Simeon might know it? Well, well, well the Holy Spirit. But by an extraordinary revelation to, to, to Simeon, but also by even the ordinary means that he's used to teach him the, the, the scriptures. The Holy Spirit has been at work to show that, that this child is, is God's saviour, is God himself. And in that sense, Christmas is a surprise. It, it's not something at one level, I guess, that Simeon Anna could just have worked out. I guess many children came from Bethlehem and Nazareth to be presented in the temple. This is not the first or the, or the last child that, that Simeon Anna would have seen who'd come from that particular place with poor and humble parents. And yet this is the one that they know is God's saviour. Not, not surprise them at one level that that's what would happen, but another level is something they can only have known with the Holy Spirit's help. And that experience is not, as it were, walled off in the past. After all, none of us here, if we trust in Jesus, came to trust in him by our own cleverness. By, as it were, making a, a search of the New Testament and, and cracking out our, our Greek and Hebrew and, and working out that, yes, rashly the evidence stacks up and Jesus is who he said he is. Some of us, humanly speaking, may have done that. We may have sought out the evidence. It's a good thing to do. But in the end, if we put our trust in Jesus, because there was a moment at which we said... I know that I've not just read a book, but, but, but met with a person. I know these words aren't just words on a page, but, but they're the words of, of God that have come to me with, with assurance that they're true. I've had that experience, maybe not as extraordinary as Simeon, but, but, but of the Spirit's illumination, lighting up of, of our hearts and of, of the page that we sang of in, in the hymn before this sermon. We, we've known that this is God's saviour speaking to us and we've put our trust in him, just as Simeon and Anna did. For all the human effort, we need that the help of the Spirit. And we need to pray for that, for those that do not know Christ. We need to, to hold up to them and say, Christmas is, is rational. It's not some kind of strange, arbitrary appearance of God at, at a random point in history. Uh, but but the, the, the rational fulfillment and completion of a story that God has been working through for thousands of years. We talk to, to those who maybe would, would in some way respect and, and treat the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament with respect, whether they be Jewish or, or Muslim, but yet would not see Christ and say to them, those who knew these scriptures far better than you do, Simeon and Anna, they, they believe this baby was Jesus. But then we also need to pray that, that God would open their hearts by his Holy Spirit to receive them, not as, as human words, but as God's words. Christmas is both a, a surprise and, and not a surprise. As I put it all together, what, what can we say? 
Well, I think Simeon sums it up in, in what must be one of the most unusual blessings in the whole Bible. He, he blesses God for God's saviour, but then he turns to, to Mary and Joseph and blesses these parents. And you'd think his blessing would be, I hope your life goes well with this wonderful son that God has given you the saviour. No, his blessing is this in, in verses 34 and following. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that's opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. God bless you, a sword is going to pierce your heart. This child will bring you such great sorrow, personally, as you see him die upon a cross, I think thinking here of of Mary. Perhaps also thinking of her own temptation to reject her son as saviour, as she thinks with the extended family that he's lost his mind. The same division that, that will be seen in the people is, is seen in Mary's own heart. But I think particularly thinking of, of the impact of that division on, on her as she watches her son put to death. More, if Christmas is both a, a surprise and not a surprise, then Jesus will be divisive. Those who have the Holy Spirit, who know and love God, will recognize in this Jesus the one that God has promised. He will be for their falling in humiliation and, and repentance, but also for, for their rising in trust in him and vindication with him, the forgiveness of their sins, the giving of everything that God has promised to them throughout the Old Testament, their consolation and, and salvation. Not just for, for God's people Israel, but, but for the whole world. And yet if Christmas is a, a surprise... If at the heart of it will lie a claim which in the end cannot be rationally proven 100%, I can do nothing using the mere human evidence to to convince you 100% that Jesus is God or was God. No, if the Holy Spirit is needed to open up hearts, then then there will be a division because there will be those who who reject him. Those who would prefer to, to establish and and it, you know, to continue in that their own righteousness and, and keeping of God's law rather than to trust in the salvation that God has promised. That those who are offended by the fact that God's Savior is for all nations rather than just for, for one. Those who can't accept a Savior who is not of their nation, as they look at a, a Jewish Savior who comes to the nation of Israel and say, but I want a Greek or a Roman or a British Savior. There will always be those who he reject Christ. He, he will be divisive. He'll expose the, the thoughts of people's hearts and, and what they ultimately make of, of the God who, who he is and who therefore he reveals. Again, a, a common response I hear from, from those who I'm talking with about Jesus is this. If I saw God, if I saw God, I'd believe in him. If he's real... Why doesn't he, as it were, write his name in the skies or, or appear to me? To which my answer is, he, he did that. He, he appeared and he spoke and he met with people who knew him far better than you probably do. Who, who had loved and, and served him all his life. And do you know what most of them did? Most of them hated him and rejected him and put him to death. In the end, God could appear to you right now. And I don't think it would make the blindest bit of difference. I guess, rationally, it would be very convincing. 
If Jesus were here in this room, he is here in this room as we gather in his name. But if he were physically here in this room, as he was physically present in the temple. Would that mean you put your trust in him? Not necessarily. He'll be for the fully and rightly and many to divide the four people's hearts, their, their, their real heart attitude to, towards God. And so I say to, to those who do not know Christ, and I've, I've said this and, and will say it again. I'm sure I'll say it in, in the week ahead. If you don't know God, if, if you're not sure that Jesus who he says he is, then, then pray. Pray that God would reveal himself to you. It's a good prayer. Pray it. Don't, don't pray with some condition that, that must be this particular sort of revelation that he will physically appear in a, in a vision or, or, or at the bottom of my bed when I wake up at night. No, no, pray that he would appear to you. Here's the deal, though. Then, go and read the Bible. Go, go and read an account of Jesus' life. Look, you can, you can get out of your way. I've sometimes set an arbitrary number of days. Pray, pray this for 30 days. Pray for 30 days that God would, would appear to you. It's all very well saying to me, if God appeared to me, I believe. Have you ever prayed for that? Have you ever genuinely prayed that, that God would appear? I'm not saying you have to do this. This is um, one option. Pray that God would appear to you and read the scriptures and see if he does. Because he did to, to, to Simeon and Anna. He revealed himself through the scriptures. He made himself known. He, he showed himself by his spirit to be, to be real and present. Have you ever done that? Have you ever actually prayed that God would show himself and, and then done the hard graft of sitting down and, and reading the Bible for yourself? Mark's the shortest gospel. Good place to start. Luke is great too. I mean, we're reading Luke this morning. Read on. If we know God, are we praying for his continued illumination in our hearts? That, that he would open the scriptures and give us the joy and, and blessing of Simeon and Anna of, of knowing the certainty of the things that he has revealed and of the presence of Jesus Christ. And more to look at the new year and we come out of Christmas. Are we praying that for our friends? Our family do not know Christ. Sharing them, yes, that the, the human evidence for, for Christmas, that the human story, but, but more praying for God's revelation by his spirit. Knowing that Christmas ultimately is it's not a surprise that, that we can be confident and have no reason to be on the back foot and, and as well feel that, that Christmas is, is some kind of arbitrary thing that, that, that must be proven by PhDs and, and years of research. But at the same time, knowing that it is something that can only be truly understood and known and believed with the help of God's Spirit. Let's pray that now for ourselves and for those we know who do not know Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself in your Son and that by your Spirit you've opened our hearts to see him and know him as Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph knew him. With them we we marvel and bless your holy name. We pray for that same miracle for those that we know who in the remainder of this week we'll meet with who, who don't know Christ. That you would show yourself to them as you have to us. Through the reading and the preaching of your word. Would they know the saviour. In his name we pray. Amen.